Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hi folks, welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. Today we're here to talk about the Know Your Foe Browns, the Know Your Foe episode for the Browns this week, talking with Jake Burns of the Orange and Brown Report. Jake, how are you doing? Ken, I'm great. So excited to be on, man. Thanks for having me. This is great stuff. You're one of my favorite people from another team to talk football with, uh, you know, very uh, level. There's there's not any kind of animosity here, and I just really uh, I appreciate you coming on. Uh not to mention extraordinarily knowledgeable about the about your your franchise there. Uh, if you don't uh, follow the podcast, now you you have your own podcast and it's very successful, right? It does okay. Yeah, the orange it's the orange and brown uh, film breakdown. So okay. OBR film breakdown for short there. Yeah, as okay. well. Would would highly recommend it to folks. In, in, in addition to a follow of Jake and your Twitter handle is uh, at Jake underscore Burns eighteen. All right. Outstanding. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the Browns this year. The Ravens just finally getting to see them now in week 12. And then unfortunately, again, in week 14, after a bye, we don't need to harp on that too much. Uh, but let's talk about the Browns offseason first and, and the moves that, that, that put the Browns now uh, where they are in terms of personnel and, and whatnot. Uh, the biggest moves, the draft. Take us through it. Yeah, so they invested in another corner opposite of of Denzel Ward. They wanted to uh, sort of shore up that position. It was a nice meeting for Cleveland of talent and the right player at the right point and a position of value. Cleveland trying to, under Andrew Barry, draft very young, so they drafted Greg Newsom, partly because the, 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 the pick they had spent uh, a couple years earlier on uh, Greedy Williams, uh, Greedy dealt with the shoulder, severe nerve damage in his shoulder, missed all of 2020. So they really wanted to get another corner, invest young. So they went that route um, in a 
a semi-controversial move. They moved up in the second round to go get a player at a position that we don't think Cleveland values very highly, but the hybrid ability of Jeremiah Wusu koromoa was too mm-hmm. too tough to turn down. So they they went out and took him, uh, did a nice job moving around to get him. I thought they uh, didn't give up too much. Just a pick swap, essentially, was what they ended up giving up to uh, to move up to grab him. So JOK, we'll talk about him a little bit later, playing pretty good football when he's been on the field for them. Uh, third round, they went out and got Anthony Schwartz, a speedy wide receiver, to try to add an influx of vertical threat speed. And he is a world-class speed guy, uh, just Another player, again, we'll talk about, but the nuance of the position is sort of something that's going to have to take time for him. Um, Fourth round, they got a young man named James Hudson, uh, a swing tackle that they hope out of Cincinnati who can do some things for them, both inside, outside flexibility, maybe be that Chris Hubbard type in the future for Cleveland who can play right tackle and left tackle in a pinch. And eventually, maybe as Jack Conklin ages, be a guy who could take over at right tackle. So that's where they went there. Um, Late round picks that stand out. Uh, they went out and got Tony Fields, uh, a linebacker uh, from Arizona, then eventually moved to West Virginia. Uh, has not been a much of a factor at all, really dealt with some foot injuries, has been active of late, but not totally as active as you would like him to be. Some special teams play here and there. They took Tommy Togiai, a defensive tackle from Ohio State, who just started being active two weeks ago. Um, the, the Browns have, uh, you know, had some issues with defensive tackle play, but they thought Togi, I could step in and play. He has not quite been able to do so yet. So Togi, a guy I really liked in the draft, mm-hmm. uh, d- definitely a, a very thin draft for defensive line. Uh, the Ravens managed to get no part of that, despite the fact that they have a very aging defensive line. They had four guys over 30 and, and only Matabike really is a young player, um, is I don't know what you know about the upcoming draft. Is it expected to be particularly good for defensive linemen? I'm certainly hoping so. But COVID in 20 probably held some people back a year from registering. Yeah, I mean, I think I know the usual suspects, the the Jordan Davis of the world. I mean, mm-hmm. the, some of those guys. Um, this is the kid from AM. I'm going to be honest with you, Ken. I don't even really touch the draft until January hits, just because like you and me, there, there's so many yeah. things about our team <laughs> that we have to write on. So I do expect, for, from Cleveland's perspective, I do expect them to be in. They need to go invest in an early round. I don't know what round that looks like. They do have Jordan Elliott, who's a young player they got from Missouri uh, a couple years ago. Uh, who's come along, not a couple years ago, they drafted him in 20, who I do think can be a nice player for them down the line, has had a little bit better uh, transition into year two than he did year one. But I do think they'll be interested. And from some people I talk to, they do think it's going to be a nice interior D-line class. I, again, like Haskell Garrett's a Columbus, Ohio guy at Ohio State that I pay attention to. So I'm sure there's going to be some names, and I don't want to let your fans down, but I don't don't have any great, great insight in that yet. But... um, yeah, other other to finish out the draft for Cleveland, uh, they took Richard LeCount, who is a, um, a safety out of Georgia. Who interesting year for him was uh, pretty effective uh, as a player for Georgia. They switched schemes. He started to go more split safety in Georgia schemes, so he got away from from being that single high player that they really like. He's come into Cleveland, and I think the data from him, this is the first time that Cleveland has sort of tracked this, and we've heard them talk about Paul DePodesta there, uh, you know, sort of data scientist, as we all know Paul DePodesta is, uh, talked about how the tracking data gave them a better feel for the athlete the GPS data than the actual combine numbers or his pro day. Huh. His pro day was really bad because of a motorcycle accident, but they really liked 
the GPS tracking data as a means to see what kind of athlete he was. Now, so where were they getting that? Were they getting that from the college or their workout or what was what would it have been? It it would it's something not available publicly. I would have to imagine it comes from the college specifically, or the NCAA does something with that. I'm not sure. We didn't really get an answer on that because the question wasn't asked at any of those pressers. But yeah, that data is out there. People are talking about it a lot about the GPS tracking data, but it is not something as I've poked around something that we could find couldn't subscribe to it like sports mm -hmm. info solutions or pro football focus or something of that nature it's not out there but yeah that's something they harped on was that the, the gps data told them that he was a better athlete than a 4-8 combine number because like i said there was a motorcycle accident he was involved in which was mm -hmm. pretty dicey for him and obviously didn't help him coming back so um yeah that's the draft for them they they did take some risks in undrafted free agency they went out and got marvin wilson spent a lot of money on marvin wilson he didn't actually make the roster um, his, I think he's in Philadelphia on their practice squad now. So they took some swings there, but that's the, that's the draft. It, it, as far as free agency goes, they, they really focused defensively. They said, we really took a lot of our efforts to focus offense. Let's go to defense. Uh, we can go along the line. So they brought in Jadevian Clowney, as you know, who's done well mm -hmm. for them. He's beat up right now. He's dealing with a, one of those three injury designations. I think he's got a shoulder, a knee, and a, a toe or an ankle. Uh, yeah, he's been on the on the injured list with the three injury designation. Now Baker Mayfield has joined him, and that uh, and that and that uh, heralded group of three injuries on the depth or on the on the injured list. But he's played through it. He's only missed one game. He only missed the. I believe Chargers week five, he traveled with the team and missed the game because of something that was not actually on the injured list. It was a knee in pregame or something, but he's only missed one. He's not been playing as effectively with the injuries lately, but still playing pretty well for what they like to do with their defensive ends. Uh, they went along the interior and signed uh, uh, Malik Jackson, uh, travel well-traveled veteran defensive tackle, obviously been in Denver, obviously been um, in most recently Philadelphia. And from there, he's been the pseudo leader of that group he's he's played a ton of snaps they took a risk on malik mcdowell we all remember malik mcdowell from michigan state a, a nice pick by the by uh the seahawks yeah. back in i think 2017 I, I can't remember 17 or 18 but they took him 17 17 and he obviously went through some personal issues some poor choices off the field got himself in trouble uh came back his comeback a change man and i'm all about giving folks a second chance if they if they prove to to be worthy of a second chance and cleveland has put him on a short leash and he's done really well he's responded well he's not had a great season he started to slowly started out hot really really playing really well has had he's been a nice pass rusher i believe 22 accounted for pressures on the year but the run defense stuff has suffered and collectively mm -hmm. the run defense stuff has suffered uh, but he is a nice still relatively young player on a cheap contract that they think they can keep around and hopefully you know, you got to think this guy has not had a full football season in like three years. So there's a lot of wear and tear that can happen for a guy who hasn't taken a beating in a while, especially never really played in the NFL. I don't think he played a snap in the NFL before the Seahawks stuff fell apart. So he's there. Um, we talked about linebacker we, corner. They went in to go out and upgrade. They had Kevin Johnson playing the slot for them last year, which is just a disaster. Among Kevin had some injuries, and Tavier Thomas played some some time in the nickel. And then Joe Woods really wants to play a ton of nickel. They went out and signed Troy Hill, who had a great season. I think mm -hmm. Pro Football Focus is highest graded yards per catch allowed in the slot and LA has been pretty solid for Cleveland some ups some downs some good some bad but overall a much needed talent boost at the, at the nickel position now he left last week um sorry the Patriots game week 10 he got a neck contusion that took him to the hospital he was he was ruled okay he was out last week I think he's probably going to be out again this week so what they did 
was take Greg Newsom and put Greg Newsom in the slot for 20 snaps, played John Johnson, who I'm going to talk about in just a second, put him into the slot a little bit and kind of did a little hybrid deal there. But they they like Troy Hill. They really like how he's played for them. He's a good run support defender. Uh, Browns like to, to sling their run fits a lot. And 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 what they'll do is they'll bring that, that nickel corner in to cover a C-gap sometimes. Yeah. And he's been doing really well for them. Um, in the backside of uh, the defense, uh, we talked a little bit about John Johnson a second ago. He was the big signing, uh, great, great four years in L.A., uh, you know, one of the highest graded metrics of, from Pro Football Focus. And I think he's a nice player. I think he's a good player, but he has not performed the way the money says in Cleveland. He is um, doing, I think early in the year, I noted that he was a 50-50, whether it was you know, his time in L.A., the Rams linebackers, this was Brandon Staley's last year in L.A. Uh, with the Rams. He talked about how their linebackers were in trouble, so they played John Johnson all over the field. They'd put him in the slot. They'd put him as an edge support defender. They'd put him as a true linebacker and play him in deep portions of the field, too. He was really, for Cleveland, has been this year just primarily being a deep player, which he's not a great, great athlete to be doing that all the time. He's more comfortable playing forward. Now, he's had opportunities playing forward in the last three weeks, and it has resulted in some like head-scratching missed tackles in space and like the to me i noted on my podcast earlier this week it almost feels like the game speed is catching him by surprise and i don't know if that's a byproduct of being deep in portions of the field for most of the season that he has not been and that has led him to just be off he's been very mediocre grades wise is not been as 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 good as we had hoped for he's not been a massive issue ken but he's just not been the guy that you go out and sign the money they spent on him and think this guy's going to change your defense. Where is he cap wise? I think he's at twelve to twelve million. I mean, they gave him a okay. good, they gave him a good chunk of change. He's here two years, no matter what. And okay. yeah, that part of it is it's been disappointing because you really did expect, and the way he's graded on the, I broke down all of his LA tape at, at, at way too granular level, and it was so exciting to see this guy yeah. who could do so many different things. And we talked about this how sometimes I remember I think you and I talked about this specifically, Ken. You can get these safeties who can do so many different things, and then you don't find guys that necessarily fit roles. And that's where I think the Brown safety room has struggled this year is fitting those roles. We'll talk about that a little yeah. later, but that's, that's that something. Is- that is the most common thing I probably talk about on the show, or one of the real common things, is that if you really have versatile safeties, quote unquote, probably means you don't have the free safety you need because yep. you really want that specificity of role on the back end more than any. I, I'm okay if your dime and your strong safety can change places, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But don't tell me you don't, you you. you do you have versatile safeties when you really don't have a free safety? Yeah, that's been their problem. They've had to force John Johnson to play that role. And while he can do it adequately, it's like taking some of the best parts of his game and just throwing them away. So it's just something I think they didn't solve. Or maybe they thought young Grant Delpit coming into the fold this year after the Achilles tear yeah. was going to be a factor there. But Grant Delpit has struggled. So those are the big personnel changes. Those are the guys that they brought in on that side of the football. And that's where a lot of their money was spent to try to upgrade that defense. All right, let's let's talk a little bit about the long run cap situation because I think this feeds right into dovetails right into what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield, and I, I know there's some varying opinions by Browns fans of of, of what ought to happen. Fair enough to say. Uh, yeah, to put it lightly, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in terms of the the current cap situation, the, the Browns came in very good this year, but I know 
next year it starts to be a problem again if i'm correct <clears throat> yeah well i actually think they're okay for 22 it's 23 when money kicks in for miles garrett big money kicks in on his cap number big money will kick in for wyatt teller big money will kick in for joel batonio both of which those guards they just signed so they're balancing a little bit of putting some money off that they've done everybody's you know everybody's using the credit card these days voidable mm-hmm. years later and i think they're going to they're going to have some outs on some players that they can get out of. Jack Conklin's one that they can get out of. Austin Hooper's one that they can get out of. They have ways to get out of certain guys, but they do have big money kicking in among some players that they put. Nick Chubb will be in two years kick up because he's another guy. They've signed three guys during the season here. Nick will kick up his number as well. So then if you look at balancing Baker Mayfield, what that contract could look like, whether, you know, to me, it's like, even a $30 million quarterback contract is a lot of money. It's it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of money. You can argue splitting hairs over should Baker get 40 or 30. I mean, if you commit that money, that's taking several players off of a roster that could oh, be yeah. hugely impactful players. So they're not in terrible shape. I think they've done a good job of balancing it. But in 23, I think some of the credit card bill stuff comes due, and they really wanted to have an answer on Mayfield by then. They have a nice window of keeping him around at the fifth-year you know, the fifth year uh, option, 18 mil, I think it's 18.5 next year. Mayfield's already under contract for. So they have a year there to figure it out. And then they can push, if they did extend Baker, they could push some of that money down the line and try to like manipulate it with some voidable years at the end type of deal too. But I do think they're trying to balance Ken, the immediate, some of these guys they bring in on the shorter term deals with guys that they're going to have to pay later. And they know that the, the bill kicks up a little bit. Let me ask just a, a general thought, because I know the way Ravens generally fall, Ravens fans generally fall. Are Browns fans at a point where they'd rather have a consistent winner who's on the verge of the playoffs year after year? or And I think that's often the case with a team that, that's maybe struggled for a while. But Ravens fans also, despite having playoff teams with some good, good regularity, some people are out there saying, no, you gotta you got to go all in this year. This is the last year of, of Lamar's rookie contract. I think it's BS. I, I want consistent 1970s Orioles success. I want I want a team that's in contention every single year. It's a lottery ticket. I'm I'm all about the lottery ticket. Be successful to get yourself to the playoffs and you never know what happens. Yep. That's where I'm at because there's so many moving parts. There's so many and the NFL nobody talks about at least we don't consistently talk enough can about the injuries sure. and the and the timing of where your team is at the right time. So there has been a little bit of that, but I uh, I would say it's been overwhelming. Find a way to be consistently relevant because mm-hmm. the Browns have been so irrelevant for so long that people are hungry to just not have that cycle fall into again. Because in this kind of pertains to Baker Mayfield, because what you're seeing fans do is say, well, hey, do you want the Deshaun Kaisers, the the Charlie Fries, the 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 Robert Griffins of the world again, or do you want Baker Mayfield who can just be this? This adequate quarterback, like would that's the thing. You know, the big discussion is around kind of similar and tied into what you're talking about, where the past of quarterback play in Cleveland is affecting what people think the future should look like. Well, I think some of that happens with the win-loss structure of should we go all in right now, or should we stretch out the window and try to be as uh, relevant or as quality as we can for a long time? People in Cleveland seem to be trending toward 
We just need to stay relevant. And even if that means you don't take a home run swing on another quarterback type of deal, they want to see relevance happen for a long time, which I'm in line with. I think you should try for the for the for the morale of everybody, for the morale of your right. your 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 support staff, your front office, everyone in the fans, because it does matter. You your should, media people. <laughs> and your media people. You're right. You're right. I mean, it's it was, it was a miserable times covering bad football. So yeah, I think I think that's where I think the majority of Cleveland lies with the stretched out stuff. There's some people who talk about the quarterback window and usually they're folks who focus on the cap because I get it. I understand that you want to go all in when you can have this mendable quarterback contract situation, but you also don't want to waste five years of a great quarterback because you've invested all of this effort and you're digging out of a hole for the next five years of the prime of a quarterback. So I get both sides of it, but I definitely lean your way, Ken, which is let's try to get this thing as long as we can, the window as successful as we can to have as many shots at this as possible. Yeah, you can you can make your changes in season and trade away some draft capital, but consistently successful teams as the Browns now are and the Ravens, you know, have been, you know, never have a ton of draft capital relative mm-hmm. to the top. You know, I, I often see it said is, you know, these bad teams trade down a lot more than than the good teams do. Well, of course they do. They have way more draft capital. Yes, of course, trade down. I mean, that's exactly right. All right, let's keep going here. Key injuries this year, and I know the Browns have been through a lot, and and at one point we're probably in a similar boat to the Ravens in terms of injuries. Now, things they've gotten some players back. Yeah, they have gotten some players back, which has been nice. They have missed for different portions of the the, the thing with Cleveland is they haven't necessarily lost many people long like season ending type of injuries but they've just had these chunks of the season where there's been like 17 to 25 names on the injured list it's been bananas where guys are missing games so um you know jarvis landry i could go through i mean there's so many guys can jarvis landry has missed time with a knee injury that he's still battling we know about baker mayfield he did miss one game that thursday night game against denver nick chubb has missed a couple games uh you know one was dealing with a bit of a uh I think he was dealing with a bit of a uh, a calf issue. He missed a couple games with a calf issue. Then he missed two weeks ago because of being on the COVID list. So he's missed time. Kareem Hunt also with a calf strain. He's missed time. Now he think think he's coming back this week. It seems like it. He was activated off the IR today, but that doesn't necessarily mean a guy is going to be active for a game. But he was activated off the IR list. Along the offensive line, that's where some issues have happened. Uh, at left tackle, Jedrick Wills. Brown's first series of the game against Kansas City in the opener gets rolled up on nasty high ankle sprain, had been battling through it for like five or six weeks, missed a couple games. And I'm Jed is a nice player. He's got a lot to work on still. This uh, uh, he's just for your fans, his second year left tackle out of Alabama. Um, really nice player, but he's when when his he's a finesse guy by nature. And when you lose that element of your kick slide the way he needs it to be, he was struggling. So they've been hit or miss with playing him. He seems to be turning the corner. Um, they've been fortunately healthy along guard center guard, JC Treader at center, Wyatt Teller at right guard and left hat or sorry, left guard Joe Batoni have all been playing. But then Jack Conklin on the right side has missed multiple games just coming off the eye. He dislocated the elbow which is really, really strange injury. Um, Dislocated the elbows, come off the IR, but he's missed, I think, five games this year. And the problem for Cleveland has been the only person, not the only person, but a person that really matters is Chris Hubbard, their backup tackle who can play both positions. He hurt, I think he hurt the knee second game of the year, filling in for Jed Wills coming into the game. So they lost him for the year. So that's forced them to play James Hudson, the rookie from Cincinnati, and a young man named Blake Hans who have, they're just not, 
ready to do it. So they've been trying to piece together those guys as best they possibly can. We know about Odell Beckham starting the year, not quite ready to play. He played week four. Then the whole thing with Odell has happened and it's come and gone. Um, but that's led to inconsistencies in the wide receiver room. And then also uh, a, a, a tight end, sorry, not a tight end, but uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones has been in and out with some groin issues. So that's the offense. The defense, we talked about Clowney missing a game. Miles Garrett's been pretty healthy. The interior D-line beat up, but pretty healthy. They did in the linebacker room lose teammate of Patrick Queen's Jacob Phillips. Giants yeah. came into Cleveland for a random, you know, one of those practices before a preseason game. Just a, a running back running a route out of the backfield. He sticks his left arm out to get hand on him, and it tears a ligament in his elbow. Just Ooh. completely strange. He is not they, – they say he has a chance to come back late in the year, but – it doesn't feel like it's going to come to fruition. But, yeah, he's a player they were counting on in that linebacker room, and that was one that caught everybody by surprise. I really love Phillips coming out of the draft the same year as Queen. He, uh, he's a really good two-down linebacker, as I saw it. I don't know how the Browns have used him. Did they take him off the field on third down? Well, it's tough because he only played about seven games last year. He was battling a ton of injuries there. I think mm-hmm. they view him, Ken, as a three-down backer. He's actually plays with pretty good speed. I, I say three-down as in he could get there. He's not really right now. He actually played with pretty good sideline-to-sideline speed. If you're ever bored and looking at what Jacob Phillips looks like as an NFL player, go back and watch Week 17, Cleveland hosted Pittsburgh to get into the playoffs, and B.J. Goodson, the Mike linebacker for Cleveland last year, was out of that game on the COVID list, and he started at Mike and had eight stop tackles in the game, was all over the field, sideline-to-sideline. A lot of hope with him and... Um, Jeremiah Wusukoromoa as this dynamic young linebacker group guys that can run really well and play in space. You know, they signed Anthony Walker out of the in Indianapolis, who was obviously alongside Darius Leonard for all those years. And he's been a fine player. He's been okay. But, um, you know, they, they needed Jacob Phillips. I think they were really banking on him to come along. So he's been out of the, the, raw, the lineup all year. Talked about some of the injuries. I mean, Greg Newsom's missed two games. Greedy Williams has missed a game. Denzel Ward left nine snaps into one game, missed another game. They've kind of just been mixing and matching back there. It's not any long-term things that have stuck out, but just games here and there that, that have led to some like throwing together lineups to make it work. So it's not anywhere near Baltimore's losing important players for the year type of stuff, but they've, you know, they've dealt with the injury fluctuation uh, a little more than the average team, I would say. Right. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the offense here. We've uh, we've delayed long enough. So so Mayfield, in terms of what's going on with him, we know he's working through a lot of injuries and kind of weakened at Bernie's left arm, honestly, at this point. But uh, but tell us what, what your thoughts are on him and and its development, and you know what what we can take from this year. I think is also important. Well. Yeah, I mean, he is beat up. He is beat up. There's no doubt about that. He threw an interception in the Week Two game against the Texans. Um, on, on a deep dig route across the middle where he threw it high and inside. Justin Reed from the Texans picked it off. He went to make a hero tackle and got his left arm caught on him. And then it's, you know, it's kind of a microcosm, Ken. I mean, what, what with Baker, he is a guy who is who is very he's very much lacking self-awareness of who he is as a quarterback. He tries to pretend this is not meant to tear him down. He pretends he's more athletic than what he is. He doesn't quite understand that he should be using the cerebral approach to quarterbacking rather than trying to play hero ball. And he it's almost like he thinks like Russell Wilson when needing to think more like Drew Brees. And he has the arm. 
No doubt about it. He has quick twitch arm tr- arm strength. He does have to get everything into it to really drive it. It's not an effortless flick of the wrist type of arm strength, but it's good. It's good arm. But the problem is that he doesn't see the game the way he needs to see it to, to consistently be a processor at the position. And he's not running like Lamar or Josh. He's not doing those things to extend plays or extend the value of, uh, of any given play. The thing, Ken, is what he did that excited us in 2018 is he was extending plays not to run the football, but extended plays to make throws downfield. He had 12 big-time throws on on out-of-rhythm plays in 2018, okay? He had 12 in 2018 alone, which excited all of us because that was the guy I saw at Oklahoma. Uh, maybe not a guy who quite in rhythm is there yet. It's going to take some time. Never lived under center. Got a lot of things to work on. Uh, but then... Since 2019, start of 2019 until this week, has had six big time throws in that entire span. Wow. So he's lost all of this ability to make any plays out of structure that matter, big plays. He's not consistently a good in rhythm quarterback. He's he's had a stretch. He had a stretch last year, Ken, between week seven and the playoffs where he took off. He had a great run of in rhythm, in structure throws that made everybody feel like, okay. This can be who he is. He can make the layup throws that come off play action. He can make those those hard-pressed window throws because the arm strength is there. But then he's reverted back again to the 2019 first six weeks of 2020 to the same guy who is not making the layup throws. He's missing the accuracy-based things, and that's leading a lot of people to feel extremely uncomfortable about where he is. Now, one of the things with Mayfield that's been a fairly consistent talking point over his career – probably more so in 19 and beyond is, is the uh, jitteriness under pressure, the, the, the backpedaling Collinsworth had a name for it, fadeaway jumpers Mm -hmm. that he sometimes gets into the habit of throwing. Talk a little bit about that. Still a thing. He does not handle pressure. Well, the thing that I don't love about it is he doesn't tie the feet to the eyes. I'm a big believer in tying the feet to the eyes as you deal with whatever, moving from read to read, moving from side to side in the pocket, whether you're creating space in the pocket, creating passing windows. He just doesn't consistently do that. He's not comfortable in chaos, right? Like that's what you want your quarterback to be, comfortable in chaos. So what I'm not here to do is necessarily tear him down. I've talked extensively about Mayfield. I just think that, that what he is is very defined. He is a guy who I have kind of moved to the to the point where he is a ceiling level of Kirk Cousins type of quarterback who can take the scheme based throws, he can take um you know some some tight window throws here and there and make those plays a, a very good outside the hash marks thrower toward the sidelines errant over the middle too often he's very much like Kirk Cousins but he's not even to Kirk Cousins level to me he has to get there as an efficiency type of quarterback a consistency level is not there the awareness the timing doesn't quite fit yet so if Cleveland is comfortable with a Kirk Cousins type quarterback for the long term you could do worse Mm-hmm. You could do worse, but he's never going to thrive in chaos. Teams pressure him, heat him up. He's never going to be a guy who beats that consistently. He's never going to quite be a guy to make plays out of structure. And he appears right now to not be that you know quick processor type of quarterback like Drew who can thrive in a West Coast system. So what do you have? You have a guy who can handle baseline NFL schemes, levels, mesh, 
some of those other high-low concepts, and a guy who can play pretty well in play-action passing concepts. But again, again, the frustrating thing for Browns fans this year is that Kevin Stefanski's putting a bunch of alley-oops near the hoop, and he's not putting them through the basket. So then you start to get people who think Kevin Stefanski's the problem, and the blame starts shifting. The narrative starts moving. So they have a really tough decision here. Do you take a baseline of this is who he is and we think we can find a way to work around this and make it work? Or do you try to go out and do something to take a bigger swing at that position? That is the ultimate question for Cleveland. It, it seems like that's very hard to do for a team. And, you know, the Ravens were in this position. They During the entire Billick era, they never had a good starting quarterback. Yep. You know, and, and the problem was they're a good team and it's almost impossible to get one because you, you have to get somebody in free agency that somebody else is willing to give up on basically because there's yep. the franchise tag and the other things, or you have to get somebody in the draft and that's very hard to do if you're not in the top 10 and the Browns, you know, for the foreseeable future are not going to be in the top 10 of the draft. So it's, it's, it's very <laughs> difficult to change horses. Does that yeah. guide their decision at all? in terms of what they have to do. It, it has to. It, I definitely think it has to. I mean, you got to look at what are the market options that are a, a genuine improvement. I mean, Russell Wilson's uncomfortable in Seattle. There seems like there's some unrest there, but does Russell Wilson and Sierra want to come to Cleveland? Aaron Rodgers, same question. Do they want to come to Cleveland? You know, you could go try to trade for Deshaun Watson, but there's a whole litany of baggage with Deshaun, Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson that nobody seems to want to get into. So it's like, the question to me is perfectly fine. I think there are better options than Baker Mayfield out there. How do you get those options? And if you try to go about it a different way, trying to sign a, a reclamation project like a Trubisky or a Mariota or something like that, Ooh. that's where, <laughs> you know, th- there's not Ryan Tannehill's floating out there. Everyone looks at that example and says, well, this is, well, that's just not always a feasible thing. You don't get the Adam Gase effect all the time. So the, the, the noise you made there is spot on. I'm, that's why, even though I think Mayfield has clear issues and I don't love the idea of giving him 30 to 40 million. I also am realistic about what's out there. It's a it's a weird and wonky, not great quarterback draft class on top of all of that. And it's like, to me, where they're at, Ken, is Baker's here. He's going to be here in 22 guaranteed, and he'll get a clean bill of health, hopefully. He's taken a real risk here not getting the labrum stuff solved now so they go into next year perfectly healthy. But that's not my choice to make, obviously. He's trying to gut through it. But it would appear he'll get a chance in 22 at his cap figure to say, let's wash everything out and how I play this year, you guys determine whether you want to keep me around long term. So that's where it's headed. I really genuinely don't think you're going to see a different quarterback in Cleveland that matters in 22. They might sign somebody. They're going to let go of Case Keenum at the end of the year. He's got too much money for a backup they don't believe in, and mm-hmm. they're showing that they don't believe in him because they're not, not playing him, now, not yeah. playing yeah. him right. You, know, the, the, you look at the Cardinals and what they're even doing. They're saying we're going to be super careful. The Browns are on the opposite side. They're showing they have no faith in Case Keenum, so they're going to have to sign somebody. I don't know if they're going to get somebody who actually pushes him and makes him feel this real genuine pressure or not. We'll see. That'll probably tell us a real tale about about where they go after this. But for now, he's here. He's not playing well to capitalize on uh, sorry, to go back and recapture his 21. He's missing far too many throws, just throws that are really simple NFL-level throws. Um, and again, largely tied to a shoulder that's detached and a bone that's broken and a harness that he's wearing on his left shoulder. And then you add in a knee issue that popped up in New England and just last week a toe issue that popped up in uh, Detroit. And you got you got a lot. There's a lot on his plate. He's feeling a lot of pressure from the fan base and 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 
It's just not, it's not, it's not working well. He's at his lowest pro football focus grade of his career for a single season. And I think that's justified. I do believe in their quarterback rating. And as I watch every throw, I break it down Tuesday nights. We do a Twitch stream of, of all the quarterback play. It's just, it's not good enough. So can they overcome it? They've overcome it several times. Can they overcome it against really good opponents? We're about to find out over these next two weeks as Cleveland heads to Baltimore. All right. Uh, let's talk about the wide receivers. Kind of go through and, and tell us who's uh, still standing. And maybe we start with the Odell Beckham thing, because obviously, uh, is it worth talking about at this point? I mean, a little. I, I, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy because the quarterback play was bad. And him and him and Baker were clearly pressing to get on the same page all the time. And he, I think he wants to be in an offense that, that focuses more 11 personnel and can do more things that are beneficial for him in terms of, of putting him in space, putting him in situations where he can use those plus skills that we've seen from him over time. He's got a lot of those separation skills, but it does take a different type of quarterback to thrive with Odell, a guy who can hang in the pocket a bit more comfortable around chaos can let Odell do some of those little extra, uh, little extra things to create separation. And it just was never working. The, the, the way it went out was unfortunate, uh, unfortunate for everybody involved unfortunate for reputations and friendships, but it's over. They're done. They've separated. Odell seems happy in L.A. I think Baker's got a better chance to be happy in Cleveland in terms of what he does. But, yeah, I mean, Odell's gone. We'll, we'll talk about Jarvis Landry. Not, not, not a very good athlete to start with, and dealing with injuries means a, a pretty ineffective player. He's dealt with a knee injury for multiple, season, multiple games this season, has missed some games, has really started to find – uh, a little bit of a path to being on the field, but still, you know, you know, this kid, he's not a great athlete. And then you mix it with losing some of the quick twitch stuff. Like he would make, make people miss in space by the quick twitch, change of direction things. Those aren't there with the knee, not all too effective. They've played Donovan people's Jones, who I think has taken some really nice strides. Deep ball player has created some nice separation. Uh, good athlete, good six round pick for them. I like him, uh, but he was out last week with a groin. I know he's dealing with that. Uh, but when he's on the field, he's one of their, actually probably their primary target. You know, when you switch over to some of the other younger guys, Anthony Schwartz has been hit or miss. He, he's dealing with a concussion from, uh, I think New England. He got a concussion on a kick return, really nasty. So I don't know if he'll play this week. It was, it was pretty bad. But he's been, like I said earlier, not a ton of route nuance. They've used him in very sort of esoteric route concepts, very vertical based, very one cut based, and let him go. He's caught. He's had some reverses, but none have really taken off. So he's not been quite as effective as I'd hoped he'd be. He's a little bit more build up to speed than I hoped. I thought he'd be a little bit more zero to sixty, like Tyree Kill in that sense. I know Tyree's mm-hmm. a unicorn. I get it, but some guys are zero to sixty right now. He's not quite been that level, but he's shown some flashes. I'm optimistic about his future. Rashard Higgins has been an afterthought again. He's gone back to being an afterthought. Has not seen much playing time. Has not seen many targets. So. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I really don't have a great answer for it. He's just must not be a good practice player because he consistently can't find the field in his time in Cleveland. He's had these, these moments like last year, he went for 500 yards. He's having great metrics, great season. Then this year it's back to almost nothing. And it's just like, okay, this is the weirdest NFL receiver I've ever seen that they can't figure it out and he can't figure it out. So otherwise Jamarcus Bradley, they brought up off the practice squad last week. Nice little player, very 
JAG-based NFL, just another guy, just an NFL receiver, doesn't yeah. do anything exceptional. And then they brought up a guy named Lawrence Cager from Georgia off the practice squad too. It's going to be probably dependent on if Donovan Peoples-Jones can go this week. But a little caveat before we switch to tight ends, the Browns are – an obscene amount of 13 personnel. They play three tight ends more than anyone in the league. They play 155 snaps going into last week of 13 personnel. The second highest team, Tennessee, had 55. So they're playing almost three times as much 13 personnel as anybody in the NFL. And that's still a fairly limited amount per game. We're talking 10 snaps a game. 10 snaps a game is a lot. I don't want to to trivialize it. That's like the 2019 Ravens probably were doing that much 13, I would guess, maybe even less. But uh, but I, one question I had for you was, are they trying to do things? And I know the Browns, with their tackle problems this year, did they try and play a lot of that 13 to cover for their tackles, get chips in, make sure that they had additional set blocking opportunities on the outside? And are they using these guys in line as opposed to splitting them? In line and empty. They'll empty them out and they'll put them all over the field. They'll, they'll literally have one in the slot, one out wide, and one in an inline position from empty. They're varied. They, 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 they'll motion Harrison Bryant from a three tight end in line with two of them, you know, and a couple guys in the yep. wing and motion him into the backfield as a fullback. So they do a bunch of stuff from 13 personnel. They get really diverse with it. They'll start in uh, with the running back in the backfield and then they'll motion the back out and go empty or they'll motion them out wide and bring them in to try to unfold the defense before the snap so they'll do some of that stuff so yeah they do a lot of 11 personnel still but it's just this this higher volume of 13 personnel which is really unique i mean i think that i think that the browns have 55 dropbacks in that personnel which is like i think the next highest team is 20 something mm-hmm. like that the same for the run game discrepancy is really wide they like to run with three tennis all three of them block really well austin hooper not a great athlete but blocks his butt off and plays really hard in the run game um David Njoku, who did not come into the NFL as a very good blocker, has really, really carved a nice path as a blocker. A guy I hope Cleveland can keep around because I like him a ton. And then Harrison Bryant, the second round, sorry, the I think it was a fourth round rookie out of Florida, uh, Florida Atlantic, has had a nice second season in the blocking department as well. So they're three capable tight ends. It's just, and it also ties to Kenda. We got a bunch of wide receiver issues here. You know, they've got wide mm-hmm. receiver issues with health and with the. Uh, the untrust between Baker and and Odell it just never materialized the way they hoped, and now they're beat up. And they just sometimes I feel like they think they have to play these three tight ends because it just gives them the guys on the field they know can do the right things and run the right routes and be in the right locations. So the Ravens have been, even though the Ravens' receiving core is really, frankly, better than their tight end core. The tight ends had a lot of problems this year. Andrew's been fine, but but mm-hmm. you know they, they've got blockers otherwise, and and they've still have failed to really get their their 11 personnel on the field very much this year, as much as they would otherwise like, where they've got some more talent, uh, because they really need to have these tackles covered. You know, have got a very short-armed right tackle who has problems in McCary. They have a, a guy left tackle who appears to be completely done in terms of Villanueva, and uh, they, they need help. They need to be chip, chipped on both sides. The Browns do a lot of chipping, too. <clears throat> Excuse me. They definitely... We'll put the running backs in the tight wing uh, if they go empty. And I've seen Nick Chubb chip a lot before going out on delayed routes. It is 100% a part of what they do, partly because they're trying to help Blake Hans at right tackle or they were trying to help James Hudson at left tackle. But uh, they are not afraid to slow release their tight. And that can be sometimes used as an advantage, as I'm oh, sure yeah. you know, too, to yeah. get different varying routes out at different times. And uh, they'll do it. They definitely will do it. And it's it's not a consistent part of what they do. And if they get Jack Conklin back, they won't pride themselves on it all the time. But uh, definitely when they play those elite rushers, they'll do it. Yeah, late late release with uh, with a chip block really is a nice thing, and it's great for an extended play quarterback. So for Jackson, it's fantastic because mm-hmm. he's you know he takes a long time to throw a lot of time, or he's not afraid to hold the ball. 
Um, okay, let's move, move on to the running backs. Obviously, a very strong position when everybody's healthy for the Browns. Yeah, I mean, Nick is as, as good at, at both concepts, both zone and uh, both zone and gap schemes as you'll find. The thing that's pretty surprising, I think you would see, is that everybody ties the uh, Cleveland offense to zone usage, outside zone, inside zone, split zone stuff, Ken. They are 30th right now in zone run percentage in the NFL and second in gap run percentage. And you could deduce why it's not hard when you have two elite guards. I consider Wyatt Teller to be the best guard in the NFL at pulling anywhere, whether it's pin pull, whether it's counter, whether it's power, whether it's G scheme, he can do it all. And he is a road grader. And I'm telling you, he's so athletic at his size. He can handle multiple guys in space. It's, it's a joy breaking down film of Wyatt Teller when he pulls. I, I, I don't know that there's a better pull guy in the NFL. Now, Joel Batonio also really phenomenal. They'll use him too. And it's a part of what they do, not only in run game with the varied concepts we're talking about here, but also their play action pass. If you watch this game, you will see multiple times where the Browns run that kind of windback counter. They'll actually play action off of that windback counter. Look where the quarterback go under center. He's going to reach out like he's handing it one direction, then act like he's handing it back on the counter and then come mm-hmm. off that play action. They'll pull a guard to sell what I call run action. Run There's action, a difference yep. between play action and run action. I think people get confused about he'll do that run action to sell that and they'll use Joel Batonio uh, quite often to kick out and go block the backside end so they'll actually use him as a means to give a guy like Blake Hans an easier rep where he's stepping down inside and let Joel Batonio one-on-one and end off that play action so they do that a ton they're not as much, uh, uh, there's not as frequently a boot team, you know, naked boot stuff that is so mm-hmm. Shanahan, McVeigh, offense based, partly because of Baker's body, but I think also because they just prefer to run gaps so much that they know that they needed to find what makes their gap run game look like their play action mm-hmm. pass game. Okay, so a, a boot is typically off a zone run to the left, naked boot to the right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about this is the Ravens can't run that play at all anymore. And the reason they can't is that. Jackson is always magnetizes that defensive end. And, and the, big, the big reason you succeed in a boot play is you fool the backside defender on the end. And, and if that end is not fooled, and he never is with Lamar Jackson because his first responsibility is go right after him, uh, then you usually don't get an un, unpressured throw out of that situation and an opportunity to really create time and space at three levels to, to pick your poison. Pick your yeah, choice. the Browns have done have had that issue, obviously, because Baker's not as mobile right now as he needs to be. So so guys are actually doing a, a really nice job of redirecting. Also playing, compressing that backside bend, bend course for the running back so he can't bend it all the way back, but then being able to still adjust and make him uncomfortable because he's not running as effectively. What they have done and what they might do in this game too if they decide to go that route is they've taken a wide receiver in a condensed split and had him actually almost play mirror um, on that backside end to sort of let Baker get around it. So they do know that the similar thing you're saying with Jackson there, where they already commit that guy, they're taking that backside wide receiver and sliding him in to run down the line and actually end up pushing that defensive end, giving him a boost. You're mm-hmm. losing a receiving threat, but you are giving yeah. yourself the chance to hit the perimeter and let your quarterback try to either throw it or run it. So that's just a little wrinkle I've seen them do, large part because of what you're saying. Is he and that, and that guy still can sometimes become the level zero read if you if you're zero one and two or, or yep. one two three depending on yep. how you want to think about it. Yep. So they've zero dropped him out late late turn and pivot and yep. flash and then mm-hmm. they've also just said, hey man, screw it. I want you to just stay on that guy. Yeah. Don't even let him redirect. So they've done a little of both. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, all right. Terrific stuff. Uh, the Ravens have given up a number of big plays down the field in the secondary. A lot of busted cover three, a lot of busts uh, on the back end, frankly, from Stevens at safety. Uh, how do you expect the, the Browns to try and attack that or, or if they're going to go specifically to try and attack what's what they've seen on film these last few weeks? I would think that they're going to push some things downfield. I think they're going to try to get they, – they love Yankee concept with the post and the deep over. They'll try to sprinkle that in. The Browns are very levels concepts to one half of the field. So I do think they'll run pylon routes or they'll run different sort of double moves, maybe a corner post with a, with a sort of sail route underneath it and a late-release chip tied into the flat. I expect them to do that. I do think they might get more creative in this game and allow for some cross-post stuff, maybe a post-wheel concept, maybe even that tight end leak concept that is really popular off of outside side zone too they might try to sprinkle that in i don't think that they're going to rewrite who they are but i do think they might try to really stress deeper portions of the field off of play action to give themselves a chance to challenge challenge the pressure that baltimore puts on you know they put on pressure and it's not pressure on the line i mean they, they'll pressure you with schemes but they put pressure on your pass protection they're going to manipulate it and make you go certain directions if they know what you're going to do to a look if we overload a side pre-snap they're going to louis call this thing we know we can get a one-on-one matchup or we know we can get a b-gap guy they're going to put pressure that way but they also put pressure on the perimeter you know this they get up in your face they mug you and they don't let you get clean routes so i think the browns are going to try to do as many run action things as they can to try to slow down the front and give those wide receivers and tight ends a chance to get out a little bit but yeah i think you know, I, I don't watch Baltimore as much as, as as you do or anybody else, but like, I think that Cleveland's going to try to have to copy the playbook with where some things, some eye manipulation things can happen, some release types that give them fits, or a guy in a position maybe is unexpected. But I don't have a direct recipe for that. But I would be surprised if you don't see Cleveland take four to five twenty yard downfield shot type plays. Okay, I I buy that. The other guy that's that's uh, had some trouble. They had some trouble with Wiggle at the top of the route from Westry this last week. From Averett against the Colts, we really saw it. Uh, it was a combination of you know receivers. Pittman is pretty good, but you know is Pascal and some other unimpressive guys who were doing it with the Colts. Uh, and then uh, uh, you know it was uh, Mooney and and Goodwin doing it to to uh, Westry this last week. Uh, Wiggle at the top of the route seems to give him room and isoing one side. To, to show that wiggle may be like another opportunity to create multiple, you know, have a good route runner like Jarvis is to, 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 to pick multiple spots where he can go and, and, uh, and try and get them to buy what, what he's selling. Yeah, I think I think Jarvis can. He did it last week for the first time in a while. He's definitely not a burner, so you can recover, but he does have wiggle. Donovan Peoples-Jones... Less wiggle in the route. He's definitely not as defined a route runner, but he can run past you. He can surprise people. He gets on top of you pretty quickly. And then it's like Rashard Higgins is a little bit of a little bit of Jarvis with less wiggle. So I don't think the Browns have a ton of receivers who will threaten you in that way. Really, just Jarvis. Uh, the tight ends Najoku can do some of those things, but is more of a straight line runner himself. That's why the Browns' receiving group is just so. It's so it's so singularly focused. That's why I just think they have to really look at how they pay attention. To me, it'll be fascinating how they overhaul that group to get more varying skill sets because they're very mm. they're very similar right now. So I would imagine most teams that play Cleveland are not very afraid of the deep portions of the field, and they're not afraid of giving their guys some uncomfortable coverage situations where we just don't think you can beat us. 
Hmm. Okay. Well, let's switch over to the defensive side. And we're, as always, Jake, the conversation is great with you. So it always runs along with, with us, but uh, we need to move it up probably a little faster. And I want to make sure you get to all your other meetings today. But I, the, the question I always like to start on defense is what do, what do the Browns like to show on an obvious passing situation? Are they a committed nickel team at this point? Uh, what, what do they show you in terms of personnel? Well, they are definitely a committed nickel team. I have the numbers up in front of me. Um, they they prefer to play. I thought they would go a little more dime this year, but they actually have gone away from it. With the three safeties, I thought they could get creative there. But their their most obvious use this year, 241 snaps of the 425 look. Mm-hmm. So they're going to bring on an extra DB. They have 122 snaps of base. So if they get any, this is what I figure Cleveland's going to live in against Baltimore with all of the heavier personnel groupings. What they do is they bring on Sione Takitaki and Mac Wilson, play three linebackers, including the Mike Anthony Walker, and then they play sort of base through that. That's what they live in when teams get heavy. They will occasionally go with a 3-3-5 look. They've done that 17% of their snaps this year, but they don't get too, too creative. If they do get a bluntly obvious pass situation... A 3-3-5, just to stop you for a second, would be like a jumbo nickel where you only have one inside back or two outsides? Yes, correct. Um, And they love to use JOK in those situations. But if they get in something real, real obvious, they will go with that. uh, They'll go with that 3-2-6, which they've run only 42 snaps this year. But when they get comfortable, everybody's healthy, which has been rare. They like to use that a little bit, but I'm telling you they'll be in four, two, five all the time. I mean, like majority of the game, they only played seven dime snaps, no five dime snaps last week. And they were in plenty of situations where the lions were in third and long. So they, what they like to do, here's the substitution that happens. They will bump Ronnie Harrison down and play dime backer if they want to, and they'll bump, uh, they'll sometimes take Anthony Walker off for JOK, and then they'll bring on Grant Delpit to have another coverage player, and that's the look. They'll mm-hmm. keep Troy Hill in the slot, they'll keep the two corners outside, and keep uh, John Johnson deep. Now, last week, like I said, because Troy Hill was out, they moved Greg Newsom inside, Greedy Williams played most of the game outside, and then they so, you know, sort of moved in and out from there. They, I think John Johnson had 12 slot snaps when they wanted to go big personnel, move him down, and then I think Ronnie Harrison had 10, I think something like that. So above all else, people started to get really excited this season about, hey, they could be a dime team, three safeties, mm-hmm. three corners, and let's go. Mm-hmm. They've really been a nickel team. That's where they're most comfortable. They really like to run it that way. They bring JOK on, take the two big backers off. But JOK may be the wild card in this because if he's he's more like a hybrid safety linebacker, how's his awareness on the ball behind him? Because that's been the big problem for Ravens linebackers is they have no idea. The receivers become invisible as soon as they pass them. Pre-injury, uh, he injured the ankle week eight against the Cardinals, mm-hmm. week seven. I don't know. I can't see it in across the room. Um, very, very good. Like, Really, really good feeling out route combinations behind him for a young player who is exclusively playing will. It's not like he's playing a bunch of different positions. He's a will backer in the box. That's what they want him to do. And he's done a great job of avoiding contact in the box. That's the thing you can never know. How good does a guy take on shock and shed stuff? You talk about that all the time. Mm -hmm. Well, if they never get their hands on you because you've got that great short area wiggle Mm -hmm. and you still have your gap, maintain your gap leverage, 
you, you, you could do it. You could be a small guy and play in the box. That's what he's been really good at. He has been fine. Pass coverage, man-to-man. He's athletic enough to run with people. He does a nice job of feeling out a guy's replacing me. If a guy runs flat, if number two goes flat, somebody's going to come into the window behind me. He's a nice job of feeling those things out. He's done a really good job at the ball's arrival point of getting hands in and ripping the football out. He Again, pre-injury, he's working his way back. High ankle sprain, really gnarly. IR type of ankle injury, working his way back. But what I saw in the first week, first eight weeks, and I really, really try to, to maintain no hyperbole, but I did see what looked like was going to be a dangerous modern NFL linebacker. Like, really good. Yeah, now, listen to what Jake's saying here, because this is exactly how we've seen improvement in Patrick Queen in Baltimore. And he moved from Mike to Will, and a lot of those uh, point of attack weaknesses that he had, the indecisiveness with where he was going, the inability to shed being a major issue on the numbers side, that goes away on the weak side where he can where he can follow what Bynes is doing and play much better football. Now, we still haven't seen the pass awareness, uh, but he has the speed, as, as, as uh, Jake's mentioning for JOK, that, that he can stay with the receiver wheel route or whatever it might be to, to, uh, uh, to cover. So this is interesting. I, I think there, there may be some parallel development going on here. Could be. Definitely could be. I mean, I think they're similar profiles. I think they're both good athletes. It's just a matter of how quickly can you click and close? Can you decipher? Can you get through a scheme, get downhill without getting magnetized, make plays? And can you feel out route combinations? That's what separates them. They're all most of these young guys who get taken early. Kenneth Murray's of the world. They're good enough athletes. It's just how well does your brain click with what's happening in front of you? And I think JOK, just from my experience, I don't have any watching Patrick Queen, but like He's been advanced at that very early on, and I was worried about that because he was so, he was so slot dependent. He was really just a like almost like that that Joker position at Notre Dame, which is so unique. I was worried about transitioning full time into the box, but his ability again to be able to do the things he did well at Notre Dame, rush the passer occasionally from depth, you know, play coverage, feel out coverage concepts, and the hooks, the hook and curl flat, all that stuff translated. But it was. How can he handle the run game? And if he's going to consistently dead leg people, make a miss, sneak under you, beat you to the spot. He knows a guard is mm-hmm. a tackle's coming down inside of him to, to gap down on the backer and he beats underneath you, or he's quick enough to duck the shoulder and get around you to still make mm-hmm. the play. That's the stuff that takes a guy from that's a pretty good backer to like, wow, that is mm-hmm. going to be a really good backer. All right. Outstanding stuff. Let's talk a little bit about the pass rush now and, and uh, the defensive line in general in terms of, of uh, management of snaps is always something I like to get into. Yeah. So so they play about 80-20. I mean, they don't have they have Tack McKinley who backs up uh, on the outsides, who does a pretty good job uh, off the bench. And when they were really when Tack was really healthy, because he's also been dealing with a groin, he was getting a good number of snaps. What they would do is bump Clowney inside. Who's a nice player on the inside and have tack play on the edge and then go with that group and then have Malik Jackson in there too. So the two inside guys, Jack, the Malik brothers, Jackson and McDowell, way better pass rushers than run game defenders. They, they are very good upfield players have accounted for over 20 pressures between them alone. So they're doing nice job there. Clowney, as we know, not a very good bend edge, doesn't turn the corner well, but is a great long arm and can play through a tackle, which is why he plays the run game so well. He plays through the edge, the tackle so well all the time. He maintains gap responsibility. So they play a couple guys behind him. 
Um, they played last week Port Augustine. They've played a man named Joe Jackson uh, out of Miami. And then the, uh, I think they've given Fadi Odinabo, who's bounced around a little bit with the Vikings for a while, found a lot of success. They played Fadi in some snaps there too. So there, it just seems to be a week-to-week thing with them as they elevated Port Augustine finally just last week. So we'll see who's healthy, who's not, who if tax ready to go or whatever. But they do give Miles a good portion of the snaps, and Clowney plays a pretty good portion too. They really sense those interior guys, and I talked about Jordan Elliott backs up along the interior. Tommy Togiai does as well are not great great run game players they play very much outside in with their run game they really try to fold their ends inside which again gives them some fits and teams have been able to manipulate that if you go back to the New England game and you watch New England's first possession it's third and tw- first and 20 it's a death sentence everybody hates the holding on first down mm-hmm. New England actually comes out second play of the drive after that first and 20 uh, at first down hold, they run an inside zone handoff, which what are your ends going to do? They read run, they condense, and then bring the slot around for a reverse. And it was so well executed that you could just tell how they know Cleveland's ends play. And it gave them a nice 17 yard first down play. So like teams have really started to figure out what they should do to those guys. They're trapping the ends, they're wide trap. So trapping the the defensive ends a little bit too getting creative with it. I think Baltimore has a real chance to have a field day with manipulation of what the Browns line is kind of trying to overcompensate for. And that's a part of the game that really gives me some fear, but that's the group that plays along the interior, all the names I laid out there. Okay. And, uh, and in terms of the edge rushers kind of, kind of talk our way through that. Obviously, you know, the, the big two are the big two and, and what do the, each of them bring in terms of pass rush technique? You talked a little bit about Clowney. Let's go to Garrett. Well, Miles can do whatever. I mean, like he is, he's a unicorn and I don't think I'm telling anybody that doesn't know that. I mean, I think fans have seen Miles for a while now. He, he prefers to do it the easiest way possible, which is I'm 275 pound freak athlete who I can just run past you. He prefers to dip bend and beat you around the, you know, run the arc and beat you that way. Now, as I tried to mention on our pod that you and I got together for my show, that's how a lot of teams scout him scheme him and take advantage of him we will let miles beat us upside you know outside no problem i'll have my quarterback step up and slide out that's what we'll do all game because that's what they got into way too big a habit doing early in the year was they were just allowing teams to predict what the pass rush was going to be and they were you know the teams were pretty obviously taking advantage of it and but Miles can do it all. He can swim you. He can he can club rip you. He can bull rush you. I mean, his top two moves, I have not ever broken down this data, and Brandon Thorne is a guy who breaks this stuff down. Maybe you would know. Mm-hmm. He's probably about 40% arc, 30% to maybe even 35% bull rush. Like, I'll just move you. I'll pick you up and move you. And then otherwise, he's going to do what's called that Euro step outside in. Yep. He will do the Euro step to a spin move. He does not spin move often, but when he does, it's really good. He's, uh, but he, you know, Miles is, he's, he's in the running for defensive player of the year. He's got a ton of sacks and he's really good. Not as great against the run because, you know, I think he knows he's paid to make plays in the backfield on the quarterback. And sometimes that can lead to some issues, but really good. I mean, Clowney, like I said, on the other side is, is he can do some things along the outside in terms of, of, if you truly give him that path, but he prefers to play through your outside shoulder with a long arm or an answer off of that to get back inside a rip move or something to get back inside. So 
They're different, but they're both so big and so athletic and run so well in space. And if you do get to scrambling around and you kind of can get condensed, they've taken advantage of several sacks that way too, where they're just so shifty at their size, they can bottle you in that way. Well, the the, the top bull rushing type players, the, the Villanueva who's had a really lousy season, gives up a lot of pressure. But what he has done well, or at least done well that fits Jackson, is being able to mirror the guy on the on the from that side who's the edge rusher and stay between him and the quarterback. And Lamar does better with being bumped than any quarterback I've ever seen. He's, he's, he moves yeah. around that pocket very well. What he won't do well is if they if they get the pressure from both sides, he'll he'll nobody can deal with that as far as I know. <laughs> yeah, if Lamar can't deal with it, no one can deal with it. I mean, you know, there's cute, cool cucumbers back there. Lamar's is as good as it gets, and he's got the athletic quick twitchiness to get away from a lot of that chaos. I would imagine that's a large part of the Browns' plan, though. You're talking about how to defend Lamar. Yeah. you got to have answers on both sides. If you got an answer on one side and he knows he can consistently leak to the right with no issue, it's a problem. He's a smart mm-hmm. guy. He knows where he can get out of things. So um, the Browns, I think that they definitely looked at Clowney as a guy who can help solve some of those things for him against because you do you sign players based on we know we have to play baltimore two times a year no matter what they're the guys you go through so yeah there's some of that going on for sure all right outstanding let's uh we've talked a little bit about the inside linebackers anybody else you want to talk about off ball before we go to the secondary uh no just just anthony walker will be on the field a ton he's been the green dot guy for him a lot of times they've kind of rotated that between him and john johnson on the field a lot together um i would say like i said the thing you'll notice is it's either walker and jok and nickel, or they'll bring Ronnie Harrison down occasionally when they want to go dime and get Grant Delpit on the field in the back mm-hmm. half. But then otherwise, if it's base and they're truly a four, three, four, it will be 51. Mac Wilson will be the Sam or sorry, the will. And then the Sam will be Sione Taki Taki number 44, both having really nice seasons against the run as run support players. So when the Browns do feel inclined to play their base, which is against, they, they typically match anything 12, 13, 21, 20 personnel. They'll throw out their base to match it. Those guys have been, that's a little sliver of hope for Cleveland is that they have been really good run defenders from the linebacker position, Taki Taki and Wilson, when they've come onto the field this year. Taki Taki and Wilson, in terms of uh, how they defended against play action, have they overread? Are are there any problems there? Because that's been one of the issues with the Ravens recently is they can't get anybody to respect their run game. So every other team is basically saying, I dare you to run, and our, our linebackers will not overread. Better than they used to be. They were both brought in a couple years back, three years ago now, and have improved. I mean, both have improved in that phase now. Not to say they'll be infallible, uh, because you know the window dressing Baltimore can put on the run game is as tough as it comes. I mean, it's. I always continue to say it's the Navy or Air Force of the NFL. It's that <laughs> unique in that sense in terms of what you have to prepare for and your keys and what you have to focus on. So. I, I, I think that to me personally this year, I've broken down a couple plays where I've been like, those are huge steps in the right direction for them. The guy who I think has been most undisciplined when he gets close to the line of scrimmage, ironically, off of play action concepts like you're talking about, is Grand Delpit. He's been so lost at the mm-hmm. line of scrimmage sometimes. So I have some faith in 51 and 44 there, Wilson and Taki Taki to handle that stuff, but they're not great, great athletes. So if you do put them in a bind and run past and are able to work around them, maybe somebody leaking across a slice route across the underneath the play action or, you know, some sort of double move by your tight end inside out. I do think there's some things to be taken advantage of there. All right. All right. Let's go to the secondary. And, and we have talked about some of these guys already. And I, I don't want to hold you up if you if you can't spend the time either. But uh, uh, Newsom, a great pickup, obviously. How's he how's he looking in terms of his in-season improvement? 
really good. I mean, really good. He plays both phases well. He can see what the Browns have run into with Greedy Williams is the, the a guy who's a really comfortable player out of LSU, as you know, their defensive approach is press man and more like that mirror concept, press bail stuff. He is not comfortable in off coverage, so the Browns like to run some cover six where they'll press one and they'll bail another, or their cover three or cover four they like to run where they run what's called a poach check. So if you get a three-by-one concept or a two-by-one, you're getting isolated man-on-man on the backside with a threat with a cover three or cover four concept to the field, and you need another corner who can handle that off coverage. Denzel can do them both because Denzel's now so comfortable in the league, he can handle it. But you needed another guy who has scheme flexibility, and Greedy Williams was just very slow to process route combinations Hmm. and to click and close on route deciphering moments when you have to you know hey i know he's running a dig or i know he's running a basic or now i know he's running a 12 to 10 he didn't click and close with the speed necessary greedy or sorry greg newsom massive upgrade in that regard definitely a guy who can click and close and run with you good ball skills he's uh uh not you know not a perfect young player by any stretch of the imagination right now but the guy that we came in and i love that andrew barry used the term scheme agnostic with him because he can do it all it's definitely fitting he can do whatever they're asking of him he played the slot last week bumped inside which is a new challenge for him and pretty dang good so i think they really like him i think he's going to do really well in the scheme for cleveland even if they do end up shuffling some defensive philosophies over the coming years. I do think they have a really nice player there to pair with Denzel. And actually, I'm not trying to, to do a disservice to Greedy. Greedy has been much better this year when he's found the field. I'm I'm not sure what his coverage grade is, but it's one of the better ones on the team. I mean, Greedy, yeah, has a 75.3 coverage grade. It's third best on the team entirely, just below just below Denzel. So Greedy's been a nice player too. So they have three corners that are playing pretty good football this year. It's just been a weird Brown season in general, Ken. They've gone these games where they played the Bears and shut them, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten sacks in that game. They shut the Vikings down to seven points. They went through a run before they were, you know, the, the Cardinals, though, oddly demolished them with their 10 personnel stuff. And then they played the Chargers who put 45 on them. Then they played... Um, they went three straight games where they went 14, 15, 16 points allowed, playing great. And then New England hangs 45 on them out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So they're just this roller coaster of 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 results. And and it's just it's not been quite what we expected in terms of consistency. But to generally, I want to give your fans before I split the what they do. They are not a high blitz team. They are like I don't know the number, but they're one of the lowest blitz teams and lowest man-to-man percentage teams in the NFL. According to uh, some software I use, they're 28th in man-to-man percentage. They love to play. Cover three is what they've gotten into late in the year. More cover three than quarters. Quarters early in the year, whether it was palms or poach, like I was talking earlier, they were having coverage busts, guys running open. And this defense is predicated on funnel and eliminate explosives and funnel things to portions of the field where they can gang tackle things. And they have struggled in two phases, eliminating those explosives. It's gotten better lately, but they have not eliminated those explosives like we'd hoped. And they're not converting third and long to get off the field. They're the second to worst third down percentage team in getting off the field. It has been, and you know this, so hard to watch your defense when they get to those third and (laughs) six plus and they can't get off the field. Yeah. Well, the, the Ravens have been terrible converting their own offensive third and long. So it'll be an interesting matchup this game in terms of some ineptitude, perhaps on both sides. Okay, before we go, how about a player that matches up well against the Ravens, maybe on both sides of the ball and on offense and defense? Good, good. That's a good one there. I would like to say 
Jeremiah Usukormo should. I mean, he does have the ability to 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 decipher things in a sense that allows him to play with speed. Now, he's two games back from an injury. What does that look like from him? I think he can match up really well with being able to not take on the Ricards of the world or the bigger bodies, the Boils, but be able to sneak around them and make some plays where you're like, huh, didn't anticipate him being able to get there on that play. He can be somebody who doesn't ruin a scheme through power, but he ruins it by just being creative and gets into some some tight windows and tight inside of the box and can blow up some plays. And maybe that play should have gone for 12 yards, but it went for four, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So I do think he matches up pretty well. I'm excited to see him get a chance to play a team in Baltimore that I think he's drafted in part because they want to be able to use a guy like him against Baltimore. On the offensive side, that's a tough question. I mean, David Njoku could be a problem for them. He has traditionally fared okay against Baltimore in his career. I don't know how you guys cover tight ends. I can't speak to that. I don't know if that's a strength or weakness, but I do think he has a chance to have a really nice game in this one. It's so hard for me to look at any of the receivers and think that they're the worst fantasy team in the country. Like, just, <laughs> you never know who's going to have a nice game. They, they, there's no predictability with the Browns' offense. I obviously think they're going to try to run the ball, whether Kareem's back or not. They have the, a young man named Dearness Johnson, who they like as their third back. Very, very good lateral stretch. You cut the, put the one foot in the ground and get up field. Player has confused many teams with his ability to do that. So they have three backs they really like. Can I be honest? I, I think they're going to not pretend themselves and try to throw it 35 times in this game. They're going to run it a lot. So what this game comes down to from the Browns offense side, can you shut down the gap run stuff? If you can shut down the gap run stuff, you have a really good chance to keep Cleveland bottled up because then that puts pressure on Baker Mayfield. And as we've seen this year, it's not going all too well when that happens. So look at Nick Chubb's stat line at the end of this game, and you'll probably have a good answer about how your defense was able to keep Cleveland off the board. Uh, Always a good bet. Jake, Always fabulous talking football with you. Great to have you here. Go through in so much detail the Brown scheme. Very granular level. Tell folks again where they can read your work and, and how they can contact you to talk football on Twitter. Of course. So I'm at the OBR, um, which is Orange and Brown Report, which is 247 Sports website. So you can find any of my content there. You can go there. We have a bunch of different message boards if you ever want to get involved talking to Browns fans. Good luck. But you could do that <laughs> if you do want to. At Jake Burns underscore, at Jake underscore Burns 18 on Twitter. Um, and then really a place I like to have football discussions is at the OBR's Film Breakdown Twitter page, which is at OBR Film BDN, short for breakdown there, uh, where I do post a lot of clips and things like that for Twitter folks to see different things about the Browns. So, Ken, you know, the, the respect is mutual. Love your work. Love what you do. I'm sure maybe we'll link up again here in a couple of weeks after the Pittsburgh game and talk about the first one all over again. But just thanks for having me on. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's great to talk again and, and I would not rule out the chance for a third meeting in the playoffs either. Folks, if you're out there, you want to do a 25 years episode with me. Still need about eight of these to go to finish off the season. Hit me up with a very narrow topic we can talk about in significant depth in 20 minutes. I'll get back to you quickly on that. Uh, Jake, thanks again for coming on and spending your time with me. My pleasure, Ken. Have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.